It's time to stop scratching your stitches and listen to the Career Bitches with your hosts, Anne and Marcel, your resident career bitches. Your girl's Friday for advice, amazingly useful and amusing banter for anything and almost everything related to your career. They cut through the bullshit and all the workplace drama. Now give it up for these mamas. Yeah, So welcome back to season two of Career Bitches. I am Anne Tropea, your co-host and resident career bitch. Uh, we also have Marcel Yeager, who is our uh, other co-host, as the name might imply, also a career bitch, um, forever and ever. <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah, and we're so excited to be back for season two. It's amazing. And Marcel, why don't you go ahead and introduce our fantastic guest? I'm really excited today because we have a fantastic seasoned very smart recruiter, Benjamin Mena, and he is joining us today. He also happens to be our very first male guest on Career Bitches. So everybody give it up for Benjamin. The pressure's on. (laughs) I know we forgot to tell him that before he came on, but it's a nice surprise. So before we have him introduce himself and all the great things that he does, We want to start with our weekly bitch, which we are very passionate about, and that is misleading job descriptions and hiring processes. Yeah, I am so excited to talk about this because I have applied for a lot of jobs over the years, as many of you listeners know by now. Um, I've done, I don't know, too many jobs. But there have been instances where you're excited about a job, you read the job description, you apply, you say, great, this sounds just like me. I can't wait to do this job. And you get in the interview and uh, they start asking you questions about completely different skill sets and, you know, daily tasks and things. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to write government contracts. You know, you, you're, you're interviewing me for an editorial position and now you're telling them, no, I don't want to do that shit. I never would have applied. And I've actually stopped interviews and said, you know what? I don't think this is for me. I don't want to waste your time, but, um, come on. I mean, guys, get it right. If you're gonna, if you're gonna hire someone to do a job, at least be honest, right? It's about honesty and not just I don't like it. I don't like the dishonesty. I think it's shitty. I agree. You have to take into account the candidate experience and your reputation. And if you're not advertising the correct job, what's that going to do for you as an employer? The same thing happened to me actually early in my career overseas. I thought I was interviewing to be like sort of a special projects executive assistant type person to the managing director of a big consulting firm. And I got there and it turned out they gave me an Excel test and wanted me to be an administrative secretary. (laughs) And I did the same thing. I said, I'm sorry, this job is really not for me. And I walked out in the middle of the Excel test 
and never looked back. Um, it was probably a good decision hearing about it later, but it happens. And I, we've had clients too. In fact, one I'm thinking of right now who went into an interview and she was so confused because the questions were not even remotely connected to the job she'd applied for or her background. And so later she had to go back and say, did you interview me for the right job? I mean, how embarrassing is that, right? I yeah. mean, it's like internet. I, I, I'm a big fan of comparing job hunting to internet dating. But for real, if you put something in your profile and then you go, you know, and you attract people based on that information, right? Based on a photo, based on your body, you know, whatever clever bullshit you said to like get people to go out with you. I always assume that shit is true. Because why would you want to go on a date and like get there and have the other person be like, what, wait, whoa, wait a minute. This is not, you know, this isn't what I signed up for. Um, so yeah, who wants that? That's terrible. I, I know it's been in the discussion, this quiet quitting, but one of the things that quiet, I, I guess quiet quitting really is, it's, it's boundaries. Like if the job description says like all these things, and now you're having me like plan parties. My job is to clean the office. My job is to do all this. Like that's not in the job description or it should have been there to start with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what not that like, but isn't that like an old joke, right? For, for workers like, well, that's not in my job description. So I'm not doing that. And I, I think in a way you have to be a little bit flexible like, sure, like not everything that you have to do is in your job description, like suck it up. Sometimes, you know, you've got to do shit that, that no one wants to do. But especially in a small company, you know, everyone has to do the, the crap that no one else wants to do, at least some of the time. However, if that's like the majority of your job is making copy and, you know, updating Excel spreadsheets, I mean, the copy part wouldn't bother me, but fuck Excel, man. I'm not into that. That's not what, I, that's definitely not what I signed up for anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, any, any hiring managers listening to this, like spend the time, like most hiring managers, like the job description is just like, you know, they look at it as almost like a pain in the ass that they have to focus on. But the amount of energy and time that a recruiter like puts into that, the amount of time that the candidates going through an interviewing and then come to find out like, you know, you're looking at this for, you know, as Somebody spending like one to three years of their life committing to like the basics of this job description, just spend the extra 10 minutes and just get it right. It can't Thank be that you. hard. That's like your one job. Like do your one job. That is in your job description. <laughs> and then they complain they get terrible candidates. It's like, well, you write terrible job descriptions. What do you expect? It, it, the disconnect starts with building out the proper job description and building out the proper expectations. Yeah, and I and like knowing what you want. And awesome. I think you guys hit the nail on the head. I think like job descriptions are on the cusp of going through a, a transformation. Like they need to be changed. Like the the general basics of the expectations in, in modern day 2022 is a lot different than it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we're still using the same job descriptions from 20 years ago. It's a very good point. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um we might as well just keep, you know, fill, fill stuff out in triplicate and like mail it in with a stamp for the love of God. <laughs> mail? I'm talking about the fax machine. Oh, yeah. If, Why are you, if you guys, 
if you guys want a really good laugh, like talking about job descriptions, there was a, a company that brought me in as an executive recruiter focusing on, you know, C-level talent. But like once I got started, half my job was just printing out the applications because the senior executives didn't like to use the internet or the computer. So they wanted everything via paper applications. So I'd be spending two hours a day printing out these like massive stacks of applications. And I remember one time I got like, you know, I had to put like all the names down, had to put them in order. This is like literally two hours a day of my, of my job. And I got two of the names out of order with the, the applications and I got reamed a new one. I was like, I literally that week I came home, I was just like, you know, if printing applications was actually in the written job description, I would have never applied. I would have never quit the other opportunity that I loved for this job. I like, I am done. <laughs> so yeah, totally get it. Guess what? If that was in there, they could have gotten the right person and saved themselves nine months of, you know, looking for another employee, you know, all this stuff. It's very short-sighted. It really is. I mean, and that's not my problem, right? That's the problem of all these companies that are wasting resources you know, interviewing, hiring, onboarding, and then having someone quit six weeks later because, um, you know, they don't want to do this thing that they were never told that they were going to have to do. Like printing. Yeah. That sounds like lawyer level bullshit, like printing stuff and like highlighting, like with the highlighter or, you know, I was just like, I'm an executive recruiter and I'm literally spending something like 30% of my day just sitting there printing applications because the senior executives don't know how to use a computer. Wow. Which that's a whole scary thing in itself. This was just a few, like probably like five or six years ago. <laughs> Money well spent on your salary to print. <laughs> I'll just say your tax dollars were hard at work. Oh, okay. Say no more. Say no more. Yeah. We know where that's going. We know exactly. Yeah. So that's a good segue actually, because Benjamin, why don't you tell us where you've come since then and what uh, so you're doing today? I probably about 16 years in recruitment. Uh, almost all that has been around government contracting, or I use the word GovCon. Uh, sometimes say IC, IC stands for the Intel community. So uh, absolutely passionate about what, what I do. Uh, I started off as an agency recruiter, then moved over to a corporate recruiter with some large defense contractors, moved up to the DC Metro because of course, if you back before COVID and remote work was actually a real thing, if you wanted to grow in the government contracting space, you had to be in the DC Metro. So I you know, jumped around a few jobs. I uh, learned how to, that when I got up here, my company at the time said I could get a cost of living difference, uh, got moved up here. They said, absolutely not. So I was making like Florida salary uh, up here in DC. Like my boss was just like, well, we can't pay you up until maybe like, we might be able to give you a raise next year. And, you know, I'll just say this, the secret is like, sometimes you have to job hop, job hop around it, you know, get your salary up to where you need to be. And uh, I think I had, don't laugh. I think I had seven W-2s within a two-year time period, but I was able to easily get my salary up to a, D, a even DC standard, which, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Um, did, like Bill, I've built out, you know, large teams for everything from small contracts to $500 million contracts across the globe. Uh, you know, everything from IC and Intel community to, yeah, you know, Department of Defense work. Now, me and my wife, we have our own recruiting company. We do a lot of support, probably like most of our supports in the GovCon side, but we do a lot of stuff in the commercial sector too. So absolutely love working with my wife. It is awesome. And uh, we just, you know, we have a lot of fun headhunting. 
That's great. And I love that you shared the job hopping part because it's something that everyone tries to avoid in conversations, but it's a reality. And it, you did it and leveraged that to get to something better. And I think that's a great message for our listeners to show that it really doesn't matter anymore. You don't need to be in the same place for years upon years and be miserable. Well, and it's one of the things in recruiting, you get to see the the ugly side of large corporations. I, you know, you get to see some awesome stuff. I've put together some amazing teams on national security stuff. I love it. There's times like where you see the news and you're like, I had a piece as a recruiter in making that happen. And that's one of the things I'm super passionate about. But on the other side, like, you know, I, you know, you see like the internal equity, you see like, you know, these people that have spent 20 years committed to like one program and, or one company and, you know, they're exited out the door before retirement. Like you just so many things, like you have to be in control of your career. You have to make sure that you're in control of your life. And at the same time, you know, where you're going, make sure you're picking up skills along the way. Yeah. I mean, that makes so much sense. And I, I do think I'm like you, Benjamin, I've, I think in in a two year span, I've definitely had maybe as many W2s or, you know, freelance um, gigs. <laughs> but um, I think it's, you know, it's important for people to, like you said, Marcel, realize that, and you too, Benjamin, stuff is changing, like the workplace, the workforce is changing. And I think for the better, it's- something new is good. I think the, the funniest thing, which this isn't that funny, but it's so often the hiring managers that care the most about the loyalty and the time they were there have like a job hopping resume too. So I'm like, look at your background. Like, what have you done? And like the stuff that you, the value add that you've given to an organization, like, what about that other person? Like, honestly, some of those job hoppers have way better skill sets than one person that's been at one place for 20 years. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense because you, you get to have perspective from different organizations, different people, different challenges. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. No, that's cool. Well, I'm glad you said that because it's, it's always nice to, you know, we say stuff like that all the time, but you have a voice of authority as a recruiter who's actually placing people and, you know, helping people to get, get these positions. You know, you sometimes as a recruiter, when I, you know, submit a candidate to a client or to a hiring manager, I have to package it up in a little bit of a different way. And, you know, I have to have enough of a conversation where I, I pick up like, Hey, those challenges that they have and they've conquered and they, they've done this, this, and this probably wouldn't happen if it, if they say it at one organization. That's I, I don't think Marcel, did you realize, I didn't realize recruiters had such a influence in that way where you're, are you actually, I mean, I guess your reputation as a recruiter is on the line, right? So you're, you're saying like, I've chosen this person, now I'm going to sell it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, every single person that I move for, that we move forward, like is part of our reputation and we look at it that way. Yeah. And at the same time you're competing, right? Against different, possibly different agencies or sources of candidates. So, you know, it's definitely a, a competition on top of that, you know, it's, you you want to do what's best for the candidate. You want to do what's best for the organization. You want to make sure it's a good match. Like as you said earlier, it's like, <laughs> recruiting is matchmaking. <laughs> See, it, it all goes back to the, like the very basic like human needs, right? This is like Maslow's hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, Re- recruiting is just a highly paid matchmaking job. 
And it, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of, you know, challenges. There's downsides of every single career. But, you know, uh, many years ago, I made the decision that, you know, while I'm in recruiting, I'm going to absolutely make the best of it, enjoy it, and be passionate about it. That's, That's great. great. And did you, have you were to say, like, you know, speaking of having to present people and like the problems they've solved and really sell them, we have a lot of people who ask us, you know, I don't have time. Like I need somebody to, is there somebody who can go basically be my agent and find me a job? And we're always like, well, there's something called recruiters, but is there an easy way that a candidate help can help you to sell them? Like, do you have recommendations as far as how to make your job easier? (laughs) When you have a conversation with a candidate, I would definitely say to make the job easier, you know, this isn't the interview with a hiring manager. Like, you know, we're going to ask some very pointed questions. You know, we're, we're looking for very pointed answers. You know, like the, the long stories, you know, the, you know, the five minute answers. Don't do that with the recruiter most of the time. The recruiter's like, hey, you know, we're very focused on, you know, I need this piece of information. I need this, this piece of information. Let me tell you a little bit about the opportunity. Let me tell you why this mission is amazing. You know, and let's talk about salary. You know, actually, if you guys want to go up, I start every conversation with salary because I don't want to waste your time. You know, there are times where like if I have a, like, you know, a salary window and you come in and say that like you're looking for like 125,000, I'm maxed at a hundred K for this opportunity. I, you know, I'll, I just want to tell you like, Hey, like I'm maxed at a hundred K. I'm sure this probably isn't the best opportunity for you. And most of the time, like everyone's just like, cool. Thank you. Like, cool. We, you know, save my time, save your time. But every now and then, like, hey, is this 100% remote? I'll, I'll be willing to take a $25,000 pay cut so I don't have to spend the money driving the tolls and this stuff. Like, So yeah, have your salary information, uh, you know, what you're looking for, your targets, be willing to give that to the recruiter early on just to save so much time. And th- if you guys want to really get laugh, the reason why I am so focused on salary at the very beginning of the conversation, I was looking for, I was looking at moving to Tampa from Orlando. I told a, you know, there was a recruiter opportunity. I, you know, I got thumbs up to go interview. I told them like, Hey, you know, I'm at that point in time, I was uh, at a large defense contractor making $42,000 a year, looking for an increase, went to the interview. If you want a good laugh on the way to the interview, I got two speeding tickets. The same cop pulled me over both times. $600 later. <laughs> he, he pulled me over for the second time. I was just like, are you serious? This has never happened. I've heard about this happening. I'm like, I'm late for an interview. <laughs> so get to the interview. Luckily, I make it on time. I get done with the interview. And they're like, hey, we're excited to bring you on. Uh, we want to p- present you with the offer. And I was like, awesome. I'm excited. You know, Looking forward to moving to Tampa. I, I, I'm paying for my own relocation. And they're like, well, it's going to be part-time and 12 bucks an hour. What? And I was just like, I told you where, where I was and where I wanted to go. Like we should have just stopped the process then. So I don't want to put somebody through the entire interview cycle, you know, drive, fly, whatever. If there is going to be such a Delta that it doesn't work. Did you send them the bill for the speeding tickets? I, I should have. I I literally just, I just walked out just so pissed. I was like, I'm like, you wasted your time. I wasted my time. Exactly. You know, making a, you know, a whopping $42,000 as a, a large defense contractor recruiter. And I'm like, there goes an entire paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that is so, wow. 
that's just unbelievable. And so I don't know, that seems very disrespectful to me. Just but you know, and and that's why I'm always just you know I, I understand like you know trying to figure out the the salary range and ask the question like hey what's the salary range for this opportunity but like you know the recruiters will have a range but we also want to like have you know pay someone based on like, the internal like where everyone else is in the team like if my range is like you know, we'll say like seventy five to one hundred and thirty and you're fresh out of school you know wh- you know I I love that your experience I'm like enough that I want to have the conversation but you know it probably isn't best to ask for the one hundred and thirty when some, you know, mid-level senior people on the team, that's kind of where they're at. Like, let's get there. But, you know, be be cognizant of your ass and talk about salary with a recruiter. Like, there is no point in going through four. Like, I have some friends that, you know, they call, of course, call me like, at the interview, like final interview round. Well, what should I ask for, for salary? I'm like, how did you not have the conversation the first few rounds of, like, they could be offering this job at like $36,000 a year. You're making like 90K. Like, how did you not have this discussion early on? Like, <laughs> somebody's failing in that process. <laughs> totally. And so this leads into a question that I have. So should you, are recruiters like your priest? Like, you should t- like just be honest and like tell them everything right up front. No. Say like, no. Okay, good. But about salary, yes. Where, where do you draw the line? Well, the amount of things that you guys, that people have told me as being honest to the recruiter, like, uh, well, I'm looking for a new job because I slept with uh, somebody like a coworker. I'm like, no, I'm not going to move you forward. (laughs) You're a liability. Like, you know, just there is the, like, there is something about being honest. And then there's something about like being too honest. (laughs) You know, (laughs) hey, like, I, I, I think it was last week. Somebody who told me it was just like, "Hey, I actually ended up cussing out the CEO," and I'm like, "You know, just have a nice conversation." You know, I'm like, "Okay, this is a person that I'm not going to move forward with." And yeah. then there was another person, like you know, it, and it really depends on the background. It depends on like the the job and how hard it is to, you know, th- to find that individual. You know, if it's a very tough to find job, I'll, like I'll even work with uh, some of the ca- uh, candidate answers. Like you know, I had somebody who was just like, "Hey, you know, ended up." the position ended up not working out. Like, you know, I ended up getting like a, because X, Y, Z, they ended up not being able to do their job. And I kind of dug into it a little more. His entire, he was in charge of an entire team of 17 people. They got bought by another organization. They scaled his entire team down to six people and was in charge. They were, he was in charge of doing everything of all those other, other individuals. And his team was leaving because of that. So he was still trying to like, fill in the gaps for everybody. I was like, okay, we're going to reframe this answer. We're going to talk about how to actually answer this properly. Like, hey, instead of like, you know, I got let go because of this. I was like, you know, just, you know, just, I was just like kind of rambling. I was like, just think of it this way. You know, my company just got bought. I was actually, my team went from 17 people down to six because that's what the organization thought they could do. They thought, you know, they, you know we could scale it down and still have the same effort energy and commitment to our IT team. And that ended up not happening because of that, you know, I unfortunately, you know, I, I had to leave or, you know, they let me go, you know, you know, phrase it because of the company buying them out or the layoff, you know, there are stuff that, you know, that is in your control, but there's stuff like that where it's not your fault that the company decided to like say, like, we're going to screw you over and, you know, put loads of work on you. So you think about how to reframe the answer you know, be truthful to a point, 
but also think about how to frame your answer properly. Yeah. So sorry for the don't sleep with your supervisor. And if you do, they, these are my big takeaways. If you do, don't tell the recruiter that you're no. working with, reframe the answer and say, you know, we had a difference of opinion. Best way to do it. <laughs> but this is truly great advice because this happens even we've seen it in interviews, right? We'll do like a mock interview with somebody. And again, we're like you, you know, we're like the friendly party or, you know, sort of the intermediary, but then they give these answers and you're like, it's a little too much personal detail. So I like this idea of reframing and thinking of it as even if you were frustrated or, you know, something was wrong, right? Like think about what the employer wants to hear. They don't want to hear exactly every gory detail of what went down, like, or that you cussed someone out, right? Um, in fact, I saw that happen at an old company that I worked at and the person got fired on the spot. So like, you don't want to share that, right? Like you, you just share, you know, wasn't a good fit. Yeah. You can share it with us though. If anyone is listening where that has happened, please share it on our podcast because I would love to talk about it. <laughs> this is the friendly space. Yes. Outside, not so friendly. <laughs> Safe space right here. Um, so that's that's another good, you know, kind of question that we had wanted to ask you, which is how like are there like we went we talked about how job descriptions haven't changed in 20 years, right? There's so much about hiring that hasn't. I mean, yes, resumes have changed, but honestly, not that much. So is there anything candidates need to know about how the market's changed? Or do you see any changes coming in the future that So I think one of the biggest changes that that probably like five, six years ago like wasn't there. Like you now have the opportunity to skip the recruiter, skip the application. Like you're going to have to, you're going to have to apply. Like, like when you hear me say, skip the application, that doesn't, uh, what I'm trying to say is don't just put in your application and pray that you might be the, the person selected. Cause think about it this way, a recruiter working an internal recruiter, working at a large company, we'll just say they got a uh, hundred applications, 75% of those are qualified, which, you know, is probably way too high. Think about it this. Most recruiters probably, you know, because of time, only like send about three to five of those resumes or those applications up to the hiring manager. So, you know, you can apply, you can have the perfect resume, hit every single bullet point, and you might never actually get seen. And, you know, you could blame the recruiter, like, cool, yeah, it's the recruiter's fault, but it really isn't the recruiter's fault because so many internal recruiters have anywhere from 30 to 60 recs. They have 10 hours of meetings a week, and they barely have time to actually like to create a, a good candidate experience. Mm. you know, they're, they're paid for filling jobs. And, you know, when you have three, 400 applications to go through, you know, they, sometimes, you know, there are things that like, unfortunately get, I don't want to say missed or broken, but it's just, there isn't enough time in the day to take care of every single resume and take care of every single application properly. So at, like what I'm trying to say is now is the easiest time ever to skip the application, skip the recruiter. We'll just say, give me a, a job real quick that somebody's applying for. Uh, data scientist. Cool. So I'm a data scientist looking for a, a brand new opportunity. You know, I can apply to a data science job opportunity and I could probably apply, like, you know, be like another 20, 30 other data scientists or people that want to be data scientists. 
or I can go, you know, look at, you know, I'm applying for, you know, Acme Inc. I can go hop on LinkedIn, find the data science manager at Acme Inc. and send a personalized connection note, keyword, personalize it. You know, hey, I saw that you have this opportunity here and you have 300 characters to make a difference. You can directly go to the hiring manager and skip the recruiter. Think about this. Recruiting is a $200 billion a year industry. And half the time, that's what we do. We're out there reaching to hiring managers, trying to like find a hiring manager that has a pain point and needs help recruiting. So you are the agent. Yeah. You're like the sports agent. (laughs) A little bit, yeah. But you can you can now become the agent yourself. You can reach out to those hiring managers. Like, you know, instead of like a lot of times thinking about work or th- you know, thinking about job hunting is going in and putting, you know, 30 applications in. Make sure you have goals. Make sure you have this. But at least spend a few of those reaching out to the director of data science at Acme Inc., reaching out to the director of data science at, you know, XYZ company. And unlike recruiters, and salespeople, they're not active on LinkedIn every day. So that's why you got to have some those numbers and goals. But yeah, hey, just saw the XYZ opportunity. I'd love to chat with you about how my experience can help me, like, you know, bring XYZ impact to your organization. Cool. Awesome. So you're now in the hiring manager's conversation and the pocket. So many times, yes, you have to apply, but you know, there are times as an internal recruiter, you get a resume from a hiring major. Hey, they reach out to me. Let's have the conversation. Can you add them to the to the recruiting mix? So now, because of LinkedIn and because of like you know social media, you can connect, skip the recruiter, skip the application, and get yourself into the front doors like never before. Yeah, I mean it's literally like your our words are coming out of your mouth, which is fantastic, and I feel so validated. I'm sure you do as well, but it totally works. Um, I've done it. It's worked personally. And I've talked about that on the podcast, but, um, but yeah, it's literally what we do as recruiters. Like you can, it it takes, and here's the biggest problem. It, it, It takes work. It's so much harder than going and just like clicking the apply button. You know, if, if clicking the apply button is working for you and you've got like six interviews, cool. Like don't do that. Unless you want to actually go work at XYZ corporation or XYZ project or XYZ mission, go directly reach out to those people. But if something's not working, you got to change it up. Yeah, I totally. And I think it's a lot harder to continue to apply for jobs month after month than to take a few extra minutes to send that personalized note. And I think, Benjamin, what you're getting at is what we talk about all the time, which is creating that personal relationship with another human being and not just clicking send and, you know, sending your data off into wherever it goes and, you know, where the robots take a look or don't, but actually talking to someone, connecting to someone and saying, look, I did my homework. I, you know, I saw what y'all are doing. I want to be a part of that. That's cool. Um, Yeah, that seems way more effective. I've seen it happen time and time again for people that listen and do the work. Also, like, just think about that. Like, this is how recruiters many recruiters like on a basic level operate the business. They're reaching out to hire managers. <laughs> hey, I'll go find you this data scientist that you are ha- struggling for, like trying to find. Cool. Awesome. If you're that data scientist, guess what? You can be in control of your own career. I love that. Also, I feel like you're, you're here's So here's, I'm going to do this. Here's my takeaway. Um, put Benjamin out of a job. 
do his job for yourself <laughs> and, um, you know, get, get the job that you want. But no, seriously, I, uh, uh, so like a lot of people aren't going to do that though. Right. And so that's nope. why what you do is still super important. Yep. And you know, it's just, it, it, it requires a lot of work and requires a lot of time. You know, that's why like, you know, if you have like application goals, like make sure like your connection goals are probably a little less than that. Hmm. That makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does take time. It takes time to, to research that person. And, and to top it off, like while you're interviewing, make sure you keep on interviewing. Like it's, I, I, you know, unfortunately many times only one person can get hired for a position. So I, I call this like the disease of one-itis. It can cost like job hunters anywhere from ten dollars to $30,000 a year, like out of their pocket, is stopping your processes while you're in interviewing somewhere. Like, yes, it, it might be the absolute job that you want, but you don't know that if you're going to be selected, even if it feels good, even if the interview like went well, there are so many things like, you know, an internal person they promoted, uh, they stopped hiring due to like, you know, the market. You know, and you having to start that job hunt all over again, like starting that wheel again, can literally like you know put you for six, eight weeks from starting that new position, because the process takes takes time. You got the you know two weeks of interview, you got the two weeks of the background check, getting started. It's easy anywhere from four to eight plus weeks before you actually start your new opportunity. So if you've stopped the process, you were sitting there like going through, you were in the final interview, one of the, the three people, you know, the interview process took, you know, six weeks and unfortunately you weren't selected. You're now literally starting over again. So you're looking at probably like anywhere from like four to, you know, 20 weeks before you you actually start your new opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's true. And it's good for people to have a realistic timeline in their heads and know that this is not something that happens overnight. I mean, very rarely, even if, even if the hiring process moves lightning fast, it's still going to take, you know, a month would be super fast. Right. And mm -hmm. assuming you want to give some notice to your current job, yep. I mean, not everyone does. And I, that's fine with me. Y'all do what you got to do, but <laughs> it's something to think about. And also just to, you know, not, you don't want to get to the point where you think something's in the bag, right? And it's not. I've seen that happen way too many times. And someone said something in the process and they think it's a done deal and it's not, or something happens, right? And they don't even hire for the role at all. So yeah, like Benjamin said, you got to keep interviewing. There are so many things that could just happen on the back end. Like I never, as a recruiter, of course, you know, like how we get paid is, you know, somebody starting, but you know, even when I was an intern recruiter, like, you know, I'm always telling people like, Hey, until you're actually sitting there day one, like, <laughs> you know, there's always some sort of like, you know, I feel like nothing's like really safe. Yeah. It's true. And I will share one quick story about when I, the year I graduated law school was essentially like the worst year ever for lawyers to get hired at all. It was the, it was um, right after the market kind of the housing market crashed and everything went to shit. And there were people that their classmates of mine who had offers in hand, like ready to move, you know, because when you're an attorney, you you may, maybe you go to school in Chicago, but you, you know, you take a job pretty much anywhere in the country, depending on which firm you're at. And then you take the bar in that state. 
people like ready to move across the country. And then at the 11th hour, tons of offers were just rescinded, like across the board. Everyone was belt tightening. Um, Law firms were just shedding partners and associates like crazy. So yeah, it's um, unless you're onboarded and like, I would even say like, until you have that first paycheck in hand, <laughs> I might, or, or maybe the company laptop or whatever it is that makes you feel like it's legit or for real, <laughs> Yeah, um, I would not ease up. Yeah. It. Like maybe like ease up a little, but still like, you know, be reaching out, be connecting, be setting yourself up. And, you know, when I'm sitting there talking about those connections during the job search, like just think about this. If you're staying in that industry, those connections are setting you up for the next 20 plus years. That's a really good way to think about it. Because we try to tell people this all the time, that it's not about just your next opportunity. It's about building a network. But there's got to be a better way to say that, right? Because it's like network sort of turns people off, that word. And so, but you're right. Like, you just don't know how people can help you in the future with a variety of things. You, I mean, the fact, the people that I turn to now for questions or help with certain things, I never imagined I would be going back to, right? But that's just kind of how life works. And so these, like you said, these connections are super important, even for things beyond your job search. So, And it's these little things that you guys talk about. It's that building your network is what can help you make make you recession-proof. And when I say recession-proof, I don't mean that you're you know, never going to lose a job. That is just part of the, the way the world works. Jobs change, companies change, you know, executives do dumb shit. And unfortunately, so many times it's us lower level people that have to deal with it. So they still get their bonuses, but that's a whole other issue. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's having that network and having that, that industry clout and being that person that people see, you know, if you do get let go somewhere or you decide to make a change, it's what helps you land softly at the next place. It helps you navigate successfully your career through a recession or a downturn. Mic drop. That was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Well, but don't you two know each other from way back? I honestly, do you remember, Benjamin, who connected us? I can't even remember. I, I don't remember, but like anytime that somebody needed like a government resume, I was like, uh, I got my girl. I got my girl. Because like as a recruiter, like, you know, we see thousands of resumes. Like I can and here, quick tangent, recruiters that have bad resumes, I don't know what the hell's wrong. Like, <laughs> seriously, you're the one sitting there digging for people and your your LinkedIn profile isn't optimized. Your resume sucks. Like, what have you been looking at <laughs> all those years? Back to, back to like, you know, uh, you know, I am not a resume writer. Like I can't, I can barely put two words together on paper. Um, so I am all about like, you know, telling people like go hire a professional. And when it comes to government resumes, it is a completely different ball game. I never want to touch those. And that's why there are industry experts out there. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they are, they are definitely not the most fun resume to write of all of the things that we write, probably not in my top three of fun things to do, but <laughs> But we but, do a lot of them. <laughs> we do a lot. But yeah, we do a lot of them. It's just, it is. But to your point, Benjamin, it's, they suck to write and they're hard to write. You know, there is a steep learning curve. And look, most people are not going to, 
I, I can't even tell you how many how many government resumes I've written over the last three and a half, almost four years. A lot. Guess what, guys? I got better at it because I did it a lot of times in a row. You're not going to do that for yourself. And if you do, I, I don't recommend it either because you never have perspective on your own shit. So hire someone, please. You'll yeah. be happy that you didn't spend 20 hours um, it, writing your resume. And it's it's the thing to think about. Like, you know, when you're writing your resume or you've hired a resume writer that can actually bring this out, it's, you know, if you were going to hire you, what kind of information would you want to see? Like, I just had this conversation with a, a friend on Friday. I was just like, hey, I'm like, your experience is phenomenal. But every single bullet point is very generalized. So like, think about it this way. You know, you're in charge of, you know, client acquisition and like bringing in revenue for a company that you were in the first like thousandth employee and that company now has something like 25,000 employees. Like you've probably helped bring in like something like $2.7 billion of revenue, but you don't have that. So like if you're going to an interview and it's just like, you know, almost the exact same bullet points, but this person says they've helped bring in 2.7 and this person just says they helped bring in money. Who are you going to pick? And she's like, ah, good point. Good point. So like it's sometimes you have to like talk to a resume writer or, you know, think about the things that you've done, like, you know, to be able to actually tell numbers, because that's what we're looking at as recruiters. Like, what kind of impact are you going to have on the organization? It's and that we we talk about the same thing when we do interview preps with clients. You know, how can you? It's not about you. It's about how what you can do for the employer. You know, let's flip flip the script. You know, reframe your answers so that it's all about it's all about them, it, mm -hmm. and it really should be. Oh, real quick, thoughts on objective statements on the resume. He's okay, cool. Seeing me cringe right now because I still see it all the time and I absolutely hate them because it's first of all makes you look old and second of all and that you don't know what you're doing. And second of all, it's not about you. The employer doesn't care. They want you to do their job for them. So your objective, sorry, they don't care. Yeah, right? perfect. Yeah, the objective statements, they fucking suck. They're not worth your time. And it's a waste of resume space. Yes. Because here's the thing. Us recruiters, the hiring manager, or whoever's looking at your resume, HR professional, you're, you're literally, it's a six-second test. You've wasted six seconds telling me what you want. That six seconds should talk about what you can bring to the table and the problems that you can get solved. Because that's how you get paid, solving problems. So don't waste your fucking time with an objective statement, you know, tell your significant other or tell your cat, like really what you want, because by you providing the service and you solving the challenges, you actually get what you want. Totally. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, I think that's a great way <laughs> to end this because I, we've been pushing the do not use an objective for such a long time. So I'm I glad fucking hate the objective statements. <laughs> yes, we do too. Stop sending us objective statements. Just take the word out at least. It, it, real quick, it worked in you know the 1980s, but remember, you're job hunting in 2022 now. That oh is a couple God. of years later. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Are That's you right. sure it's not 1954? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it seems like it, but there are some, there are some managers that I think they're they're still trying to hire. I guess nineteen fifty four, and, it, and yeah. unfortunately, those are the ones losing the the losing out on great talent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, Millennials and whoever is after them. I know there is a yet another new generation that I. Oh, Gen Z, like that's that, they're a whole different ballgame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how to use full words in a text or periods or capital letters. And getting all this from my daughter and. I th- yeah. yeah, I think the crazy thing with them is like you, I remember like everybody jo- joking about us millennials like being online all the time. Like no, like they're online all the time, and like you know we're like most of the time careful about what we say online. If they have a bad day at a bad company, they'll blast it out on TikTok and get like two hundred or three hundred thousand views. Like you gotta watch out. Like and that kind of goes back into the original part of like what, the discussion. Like what were the right expectations in the job description or for what you're trying to hire? If you're trying to like have this, you know you know, person, Gen Z person do like all this extra stuff that wasn't in a job description. They're just going to blast on TikTok and it's going to hurt the entire company. That's like the opposite of quiet quitting, right? (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing, like most of the, you know, we'll say, you know, Gen X and boomer leadership isn't seeing those TikToks. So four or 500,000 views and your impact, your companies have been impacted and you just have no clue. Okay. Forget about hiring entry level. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Marcel and I are both Gen Xers. I think I have seen like one TikTok ever. Um, Should I, should I subscribe? Do you subscribe? How does it work? I mean, we Uh, don't have to get into that, but yes, yes or no. Should I TikTok? So you should be on TikTok, but think of it as just like Instagram reels. Okay. I can deal with that. And you know what you guys like maybe like in like for season three, start making little like shorts of the podcast on TikTok and Instagram Reels. Like you guys have so much good stuff out there that is just it's not just for us millennials and gen Gen Xers that are like the podcast listeners. Like the world is changing, content's changing. Like I'm having trouble trying to keep up as an elder millennial, but I also like have to figure out that like, you know. Things are changing, and unfortunately, you know, recruiting in twenty twenty five is going to look a lot different than recruiting in twenty twenty two. Wow, I don't even know what to, I don't even know what to do with all of that. Um, we have a lot to think about. We do. We have a lot to think about, um, especially in terms of media and how people are consuming it. I think it's a good point. We will we'll, maybe we'll review your. Uh, you have a podcast. That we should probably look at some of the uh, the visuals of <laughs> and get get a clue. But um, Benjamin, where can people find you and listen to you? So um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Benjamin Mena. Last name is spelled M-E-N-A. Uh, in the DC metro, so that's the easiest way to find me and connect with me. And just say that you've listened to this podcast because you know I have a lot of connection requests. I don't accept everybody. You know, when I talk about the personalized connection requests and the LinkedIn like connections, like do it because most of us don't, when we're on LinkedIn and we get so many invites, we don't accept anybody, everybody, but easiest way to connect there. I have a podcast called the elite recruiter podcast where I actually interview a ton of my peers and we talk about, you know, how to be successful in the, in the recruiting game, how to make more money, make more placements. And it's, it's a passion project. Uh, love highlighting what's going on out there and how the world's changing. And then I have another podcast called Decentralized Careers, where I'm like very intrigued in the Web three space, the blockchain space. Haven't really started recruiting out there, except for like some government contracts, which that's a whole another story. But there's like the f- Web three 
is going to be the future within the next five to 10 years. So I'm trying to like understand it. I'm trying to help other people understand it. And I'm interviewing leaders out there and hiring managers that are building programs, projects and stuff that's going to really take us to the future. So Benjamin Mena on LinkedIn, the Elite Recruiter Podcast and the Decentralized Careers Podcast. Thank awesome. you. Yay, awesome. it's been so fun to have you uh, on for our first episode of season two. I'm excited to to get it live for all of our listeners. And um, just thank you again for taking the time to, to chat with us. Well, thank you for uh, you know inviting me to be the first guy. <laughs> I hope it was okay, guys. <laughs> you did a great job, thank you. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Thank you guys and the listeners. Like, uh, Keep on listening to this podcast. There's so much stuff that's going to help your careers. See, you just have all the right words, just charming us backwards and forwards. So thank you again, Benjamin, and uh, take care, everybody. The Career Bitches are eternally grateful to our producer, Joe Tropea at Hari Kaver Productions, based in beautiful Baltimore City, for his bullshit-free feedback and constant support. We would also like to thank Micro Kingdom for their musical genius and providing our theme music. You can check out more of their extra cognitive spiritual magnetism at www.microkingdom.com. A new episode of Career Bitches drops every Monday morning to start your work week. And you can listen to us bitch on demand on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever else you find your podcasts.